not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Let's have a word of prayer here this morning. Lord, we do thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for this time of year when we do look at all of our gracious God and you bountifully bless us if we just stop and think about it. We ask that you'll guide us through your word as we look at these qualifications to a deacon. Make things very clear and help us to change our lives to be more like what you would have us to be. We ask all that in your name. Amen. So as I say, today we're uh, switching from the qualifications of a bishop, which we'd already looked at, to those of a deacon. And many, many people will uh, say that this is a step down, uh, but there's no reason to look at it that way. Uh, it's really only a different realm of service. Uh, you know, some churches teach that there's different hierarchies within the church, uh, and without getting into a whole church history, that is the uh, doctrine of the Nicolaitans that uh, Jesus speaks so much against in the book of Revelation. Uh, anytime when you have a, well, this is, this is the chief fellow number one, and this is fellow number two, and this is the other people down through the church, that's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate, Jesus says. I don't want to get into that. That's a different study. Uh, but as I say, this is only a, really a different realm of service. And it, uh, we'll see that clearly. Look at them. Here's your uh, auxiliary uh, passage to look at this afternoon. Acts chapter 6. That's when the first deacons were selected. Uh, oh, you've heard of one of them. Uh, Stephen, the uh, one whom Saul martyred. Uh, Acts chapter 6. If you take a look at that, you're going to see... Uh, a lot of interesting details into a deacon that we're not going to get into today. Next week, we're going to take a look at what the deacon's wives should look like. Uh, and we'll talk about that. But as we're looking at verse 8, which we just finished reading, notice that it starts right off with likewise. He says, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not given to filthy lucre. When he says likewise, what do you suppose that means? Just like what we were talking about before. He's not really leaving the topic that we've been on. He's giving another very closely related issue. So just like everything we just looked at with bishops, the same idea carries over to deacons. And now we're looking at deacons. And again, I'm going to point out to you that the word here for deacons is plural. Just like bishops was. It's always plural. When you go through the, uh, there's no such thing as one bishop, one deacon. Uh, it, it, you can't make that case anywhere in the Bible. Uh, in fact, we know from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9 that the Jerusalem church had at least three bishops. And you could say, well, that was a huge church. Uh, there were Peter, James, and John, by the way. Those are the ones that are listed. Go ahead. Uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9, that's in the Jerusalem church. Well, 
here we are. What church are we at in First Timothy? Anybody remember? Ephesus. We're in the Ephesian church. You know who's, uh, at this point in time, this is Paul's almost dead. Uh, this is one of Paul's last writings. You know who's living in the Ephesian church at this point? John. John the Apostle is no longer in Jerusalem. He's now in Ephesus. So that's one bishop that's no longer in Jerusalem, but now he's, he's in Ephesus. And Paul's writing to Timothy, talking about him being a bishop. So that's two at least in Ephesus. So we're talking about multiple people. There's not one specific person. You, oh, you only got one. Uh, the idea of just one bishop over a church is very hard to justify. You can't justify it from the scripture, that's for sure. Uh, just like the idea of only one deacon. Now, looking at this term that we're talking about, deacon, that the word is diaconus, uh, it's a pretty general term. It's not very specific. It simply refers to somebody who performs a service or a ministry. Somebody who does something is really all it's saying. Uh, very, very general. Paul uses this term 21 times in the New Testament. And it describes all kinds of different people from all kinds of different roles. There's nothing very specific about it. Again, I challenge you to... Uh, look at Acts chapter 6 and see why they called deacons out in the first place. Uh, I'm not going to read it right now. The first deacons were commissioned to serve the widows who were being neglected in Jerusalem. Uh, but there's, even then, well, what do you mean they, they came to serve the uh, widows? There's very little detail given in exactly what they were supposed to do, even in Acts 6. That's where you get the most detail into their job, but there's still very little detail given. Uh, we can read all the passages on deacons in the Bible, and there's still a lot of questions about what exactly that role entails. And I think that's intentional. I think there's no specifics with a reason. Sometimes, what do you mean, Dan? Why, why, why wouldn't God be specific on this? If it's so important in the church, why wouldn't he be more specific? Sometimes when we delineate things too much, we start to look at it in a way that's not biblical, right? Uh, some churches, you'll go to some churches and they're like, well, he's the senior pastor, he's the youth pastor, uh, he's the teaching pastor, and this, this is what he does, and you put it into a, well, I, I don't have to do that, that's not my job. Becomes the, that's the mindset that starts to happen when you delineate things down too much. Well, that's not my job. Well, if it's something that ought to happen, and you have the power to do something about it, then do it! Right? As simple as that. By the way, if it is called out as your job, and you still don't do it, or you do it reluctantly, or you have to be pushed along into doing it, then that's another issue entirely that I'm not going to get into today. But that's obviously wrong, right? If there's something that's specifically your job and you're still not doing it, we've got a different issue going on. But I think that uh, there's not a lot of detail given in the Bible on the, the specific role of a deacon because it could be different. It could cover a lot of things. Now, in any case, we beat that enough. Paul's appointed some people in certain churches as bishops. We've already seen that. 
we saw that way back, if you want to look at uh, the beginnings of it, we see that in Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Uh, actually, let's, let's take a look at that one. Acts chapter 14, 22. This is the first time that bishops are called out specifically. Uh, and here's what he's telling them to do. It says, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So uh, these bishops were supposed to conform the souls of the disciples and exhort them, uh, kind of build them up in the faith. Uh, that was at the church at Philippi. And we'll, we see as you go down through that that he called out both bishops and he called out deacons at the same time. Uh, and it seems that Paul's saying here that there ought to be the same division of ministry in Ephesus as well. There will be bishops. We know that John and Timothy are both there. And then he's telling Timothy to look for some deacons too. And here's what your deacon's going to look like. And today... We're going to see that there's both positive and negative attributes to this role, just as there was for bishops. So on the positive side, let's look at the positive first. Paul says that they are to be grave. Uh, It says, likewise must the deacons be grave. Greek word here is semnos. And it means honorable or worthy of respect. This, This person ought to be someone that's respectable, that's honorable. And again, because of the likewise at the beginning of the verse, we can presume that, remember uh, when we were talking at the beginning of the chapter, uh, it's uh, the word must in verse 2. It says, the bishop then must, D-A. That must means that it's absolutely non-negotiable. Because he says likewise, that means that that D-A at the beginning, this must, still applies. It still applies. It's an absolute necessity. They must be a respectable person. Now, going back to Semnos, this respectability, that's the word that's translated as honest if you go to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Honest. Now, that's a big part of being respectable, isn't it? Being honest. If you're not honest, then you're not respectable. Uh, We'll see the same word applied next week to wives in verse 11. Let's, let's steal my own thunder. It says, even so their wives must be grave. So the deacon needs to be respectable, honest, honorable, and so does his wife. And again, it's non-negotiable. These people are to conduct themselves in an honorable way. Now, in other Greek texts outside of the Bible, this word semnos refers to people being dignified or being serious about things. You see, a deacon hadn't ought to be someone who's frivolous or unfocused in their service. They need to take this thing seriously. Deacons are to be people who are marked by particularly admirable character, particularly respectable. Now, by the way, uh, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Uh, I'm going to say it again today. 
these characteristics that we're looking at ought to be characteristics in all of our lives, right? They're good characteristics for any Christian to exhibit. I heard another preacher uh, this past week, he was preaching on this very topic, and I thought that was uh, remarkable, and he made a good expression that I really, really liked. Uh, but in order to make this expression work, we've got to have a cooking lesson. Anybody want a cooking lesson? Some of you may not realize this about me, but I enjoy cooking. I really enjoy cooking. Uh, the reason I enjoy cooking is I like to eat. So anyway, when you're cooking, there's a thing you can do. Everybody knows you make gravy, it's pan drippings, you mix a little flour in, thicken it up. You might do something else with it, but that's gravy. But in cooking, there's a thing that's called a reduction sauce. I don't know if you're familiar with the term. Uh, when you're making a reduction sauce, you take those same accumulated juices in the pan, maybe uh, deglaze it with a little wine or something, and you cook it down till it's like a syrup. And what it is, is it takes all those flavors and it brings them together and enhances them and makes an essence of all those flavors, the onions, the black pepper, the rosemary, the, the wine and all that, and it brings it all together to, its, to an essence of syrup that you'll put over something. Uh, well, the way this preacher said, all that was just to make this illustration make sense. The way this preacher was talking about, these are all characteristics we all, each of us, ought to have in our lives as Christians. We all ought to be grave. We ought to take life seriously. We ought to be blameless. We ought to be this. We ought to be that. But with the lives of a deacon or a bishop, that's the reduction sauce of Christianity. It ought to be the same thing, but cooked down to a just absolute potency in this guy. This is the essence of what we all ought to be striving for. That was a little off topic. Second thing it says, it says that they shouldn't be double-tongued. The phrase is me dialogos. Me dialogos. Uh, dia, two, logos, word. Having two words, you're saying one thing and you really mean something else. Double-speak to use the term from 1984. Very similar to the concept of being a hypocrite. Now I hope you realize that integrity in speech, remember this uh, word semnos that we just finished looking at can mean honesty. And this says not double-tongued. Integrity in speech is a key thought throughout this Bible. I hope you realize that. Not just in the Proverbs, not just in Jesus' teachings, not just in the book of James, not just in the book of Ephesians, and not just here. It's throughout the Bible. We need to be honest. We can't be of two minds on things. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, and Luke chapter 6, verse 45, both say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if our language is insincere, I can take it backwards. If our language is insincere, then our heart's insincere as well, isn't it? And deacons hadn't ought to be that way. None of us ought to be that way. It says, next, not given to much wine. That's identical to the instructions that uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 3 has when he's addressing older women. They're not to be given to much wine. 
And by the way, that's a good warning to all Christians. We ought to be, we as Christians, with the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ in our lives, we ought to be able to overcome any substance abuse, right? Whether it's alcohol, tobacco, electronics, food, you name it. Whatever that substance abuse might be. And this is especially critical of someone trying to fulfill the role of a deacon. Because how can you be focused on one thing if there's something else stealing your attention? Remember what we talked about when we were back in bishops, and we talked, uh, it says that bishops not to be given to wine. And it's, the phrase there is to linger with it and let it occupy all of your time. What are you pursuing? Then it says, we got a negative coming in. Oh, we just started the negative, saying he's not, uh, not given to much wine. And we've got not greedy of filthy lucre. That's the same requirement that's mentioned in uh, Titus chapter 1 and verse 7 regarding a bishop. So there's some overlap, don't you see? We just saw that uh, not given to much wine overlaps with older women. We've seen that uh, semnos, uh, honesty, respectability, goes for the deacons and their wives. This one says not greedy of filthy lucre, and that's, that's seen as a bishop category in uh, Titus 1.7. There's overlap in these roles. You see, I'm not one who splits hairs regarding roles as much as some people. We talked about it earlier. I told you I was going to come back to it. When you start to have, well, I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm this, and I'm that, that's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and it tends to break down churches. And Jesus says he hates it. There's some overlap here. And it seems to me that the same person that might be categorized as a bishop or might be categorized as a deacon may be fulfilling differing aspects of ministry at different times and in different circumstances, right? This person, these are all characteristics we all ought to display in our lives. This person may sometimes be doing a deacon type role, more of a, ser a physical service type role. You'll see that when you go to Acts chapter 6 this afternoon. Or he may be doing more of a teaching, more of a bishop type role at different times. We'll get back to that in a minute. I'm not done riding this horse. Now, uh, after all, the reason that these things may overlap a little bit is we live in real life, don't we? We live in real life. And real life doesn't always delineate, that, well, you, you're, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do that. Life doesn't go that way, does it? You get a curveball all the time. And, and whatever that case may be, this person's to be uh, not guilty of filthy lucre. You know, greed is condemned all through the Bible. And being a deacon requires being generous. It requires giving of yourself. We talked about that when we were talking about bishops as well. You can't be giving in your heart if you're a selfish, grasping, greedy person. You're never going to be a generous person. 
Because to be perfectly honest, ministry takes a lot out of you. We all know that, right? Anytime you try to help somebody, you're giving of yourself, and it beats you up. If you're a grasping type person, you're not going to be giving of yourself. So we come to verse 9. It says, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. This is really where I want to make a focus here. This verse might be a bit tougher to get to jive with the seven original deacons that were picked in Acts chapter 6. When you look at Acts chapter 6, you're going to see what I mean. This one's a little bit hard to get this to jive because they specifically said, we're too busy teaching the uh, Bible, we need somebody else to be doing this service job. Well, this Paul's saying here that this deacon needs to hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. But, if you're looking closely at Acts chapter 6, you're going to see one of those deacons that was called out back in Acts 6 was Stephen. He was one of those deacons. And he's described in other passages as speaking with the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking with wisdom, speaking from deep faith, and speaking with God's grace and power. When you see Stephen described other places, I recommend that you do a character study of Stephen. Trace him through the Bible to see exactly... He's the best picture we have of what a deacon looks like. And if that doesn't... If those descriptions don't fit holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, then I don't know what does. Stephen's... Let me talk to you a little bit about Stephen. Stephen's conscience was so clear that he called the Jewish leaders out in Jerusalem, their capital, on their sins, and he remained composed as they stoned him to death. That's a clear conscience. Call them out in their sin and stand right there while they stone you. And Paul was an eyewitness to that. And Paul's writing this right here. Don't you think he's thinking back to, this is what a deacon ought to look like? I, By the way, I stoned to death the first of those deacons. And here's what he looked like. As we were throwing rocks at him, he stood right there. I, think, I, I don't think that image ever left Paul's mind. So, let's take a minute and talk about it. It says, what, what does he mean when he says the mystery of the faith? Holding the mystery of the faith. That's what we're supposed to be holding. What does he mean? Well, that's not necessarily something that only a deep scholar can understand. That's not what he's talking about. What he is speaking of, remember, uh, Brother Fisher's taught this over and over and over and over, about what a mystery in the Bible is. It's speaking, recognizing the pictures that are hidden in the Old Testament and they're fulfilled in the New Testament. That's what a mystery is in the Bible. So, in other words, if this, this deacon guy, holding the mystery of the faith, this deacon needs to be a man of the word. And not just parts of it. He needs to see the whole thing as a unit. And how it all fits together. He knows what's hidden he knows his Old Testament so well that he can see the pictures that are in it and he can see the revelation of it in the New Testament. He's not just a superficial person or he's not just a handyman 
You know, sometimes we tend to look at deacons as a handyman. Well, they, they handle the physical aspects. They fix the siding that blew off the chimney and stuff like that. That's what our deacons do. No, this guy can take Old Testament passages and teach them to the new. This guy knows his Bible inside and out. Yeah, he may be a handyman too, but he knows his word. He's a Bible student, you see. And by the way, that's an aspect we all ought to have. Remember, this is the reduction sauce of Christianity. This guy is the essence of everything boiled together. And then it says that while, he's, while he knows how to break the Bible down, he does it with a pure conscience. We already spoke about that when we were in chapter 1, but that was a long time ago. Let me remind you that there's a number of ways a person's conscience may not be clear in this sense. A person might not be too firm in the doctrines of the church. Or a person may not feel comfortable explaining it to another person. Well, I just can't share the word like you do. I, I just can't share. I don't know how to share the gospel. We hear it all the time, don't we? They're not comfortable with it. That's not having a clear conscience. They may have some glaring shortcomings in their life that they aren't working on dealing with. That can be a, not a clear conscience as well. And if any of that's the case, then they're not to have the office of a deacon, according to Paul. See, we all ought to be able to share our knowledge of the Word of God, whatever that knowledge may be. Your knowledge may be different than the knowledge I have, but what knowledge you have, you ought to have a clear enough conscience to be able to share that with somebody. And you ought to be working on gaining more knowledge, and you ought to be working on having a clearer conscience all the time. Verse 10. And let these also first be proved. Then let them have the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Last aspect, this deacon has to have a proven track record. Has to have a proven track record. Just like we talked about last time, they can't be a novice. We saw that last, you remember, back up to what? Uh, doo -doo -doo, verse 6. It says, not a novice lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. I'm not going to reteach that. But these, this deacon, just like the bishop, has to prove himself. And there's only one way to prove yourself, and that's over time. There's no substitute for time. It's up to Timothy to observe and to discern among the people in Ephesus and see who best fits that description. This reminds me of what Paul wrote in, uh, to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21. Let's take a look at that. It's right next door. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. Very similar idea. Paul's talking, giving his last, last thoughts as he wraps up the book. He says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Obviously, it's a bad idea to make an unproven person a deacon. Somebody you hardly know, you haven't uh, watched him for very long at all, that's obviously a bad idea because of the damage that they can cause within the church if that were the case. 
It happens all around us, too. It seems obvious, but it happens all around us. And once again, as these people are observed by Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy saying, this is what you're going to look for in a deacon. As you're watching these people and you're proving them out, they must be found blameless. We already talked about that word. The word's enenkletos. Enenkletos. Which doesn't mean that people can't bring charges against them. Because then Jesus is disqualified, right? The Jews threw charges at him. Here's what enenkletos means. The charges don't stick. The charges don't stick. That's exactly what Paul requires for a bishop as well. We already saw that earlier. We're going to see it again in Titus chapter 1, verse 6. Remember, there's some overlap here. Just because somebody at one point may be fulfilling a role of a bishop in one sense, you might, let me use my own self as an illustration. Right now, doing what I'm doing right now, that would be regarded as a bishop role. Isn't that right, Brother Fisher? When I was down on my hands and knees with a do-rag on my head and spreading tar on the side of the church, that's fulfilling more of a deacon-type role. Isn't that right, Brother Fisher? When we were both doing that. So there's some overlap in the roles, don't you see? It's not so delineated with this is what I do, this is what I do, this is what I do. And it ought to be something that we all do. By the way, everybody else that was down in the role, Sam, uh, Matt, Matt's boys, both of them. We were all doing a deacon job then. We all ought to show these, these characteristics that we're seeing here today. We all ought to be showing. And by the way, when you're sharing the word of God with somebody, you're fulfilling a bishop role. That's when you ought to be extra careful. That's how we apply this to our lives, don't you see? Next week, we're going to be looking at... Uh, what the deacon's wives should look like. By the way, they look a lot like a deacon. Again, a deacon's not a lesser position so much as it's a different role of service. These are good qualifications for every single one of us to have in our lives. And none of us would go wrong by trying to meet them. You mind if I close in a word of prayer? Lord, again, 